and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about improving your servicing. Now, of course, servicing is one of the two key things you need if you're going to be a property investor because you need it to get your mortgage. Now, for any new listeners of the show, your servicing is the income side of your mortgage application. Now, when you put your application into the bank to purchase an investment property, what the bank is going to do is they're going to run that rental property through a number of tests. And generally speaking, when they do that, the property is going to look as if it's negatively geared. Now, in practice, it may not actually be negatively geared. You may not have to put money into it each week. But the bank is going to say, In the worst case scenario, and we'll go through what they're going to look for in a minute, but in the worst case scenario, the property is going to be negatively geared. Now, do you have enough income once you've paid all your expenses and you've paid to live and you've paid your personal mortgage costs again under some test conditions? Are you going to have enough income to top up that property? And so that is why you may need to use some strategies in order to change that worst case scenario. So you would be able to afford that property. But let's talk about what that worst case scenario is, Andrew. What are they going to look at in that case? So the first thing they look at is all of your lending based on the current terms. And then they look at an interest rate of 5.8%. Now that's ANZ's test servicing rate. And this is the one that we kind of use use as our gold standard when we're working out servicing because it sits somewhere in the middle when it comes to servicing. There are some banks that are better, some banks that are a bit more tough, but ANZ seems to be kind of right in the middle. 5.8% is a test interest rate on all debt, whether it be investment or owner-occupied. They assume that your credit cards are maxed out as well as any other kind of facilities if you've got a GE credit line or whatever they're called and all those kind of things. So they factor in those and they factor them in at the payments you're making, not the minimum payments. So, you know, if you're paying it back to get it paid off within that interest-free period, they're going to take those current payments. They assume your rent is 75% than what you're actually getting to allow for kind of costs that are going out. And they normally don't factor in things like bonuses and depending on your LVR, whether or not they factor in things like border income. And then they want to know, is there $50 a week or more left over once you've paid for all of those costs, plus your general family expenses? And remember, when they're looking at your expenses, they actually look at your bank statements. They look at, okay, you said 2000 bucks a month on expenses. Let's have a look through your bank statement. Actually, there's 2900 going out, so that's what we're going to use. Now, let me just pick you up on that, Andrew, because you said it was $50 a week that you had to leave over, but you and my uncommitted monthly income, yes. was that just a misstep? Yes, Edward, that was wrong, $50 a month. And one other thing I want to ask you, about is maxing out your credit card. You said that the bank will look at it as if it's the payments that you are actually making rather than the minimum repayments. But when I go onto the the worksheets, okay, the Excel spreadsheets from the banks, they'll always put it as if it is the minimum repayment on a credit card. Just to clarify, there are two types of things. So your credit cards, they'll look at the minimum payment, two and a half percent normally it is, on the actual limit. And then they'll consider that as your minimum payment and they'll factor that in. When it's a GE credit line or something like that, often that's, you know, they might set up an 8K limit and then you might take out $4,000 and then you go and buy something at Harvey Norman. If you're paying that off at $200 a week to get it paid off in the interest-free period, they'll work on that $200. So a little bit different, but similar type of facilities. Gotcha now. And actually, this is particularly important now to talk about servicing because due to the government's changes, us property investors are going to have to pay more tax as cash flow. And more tax means more cost. And that is, in effect, 
really it means that there are going to be a lower level of mortgages, a lower amount of mortgages that we would be able to service on our incomes because our properties are going to look even more heavily negatively geared, especially under those test conditions where you're at those higher interest rates. But ANZ at the moment, they haven't made any changes, have they? Yeah, actually there was some, some communications came out from ANZ last week and they said they're not going to be making any changes right now. Now that doesn't mean they won't in the future. And to be fair, I think that probably there will be some changes. It's just that they're waiting to digest how this is all going to work. So once they see the legislation, maybe they'll adjust their servicing criteria to look at maybe a higher test rate on an investment property because it does get quite complicated on how you rework these calculations. Exactly. Now, we're going to go through these seven strategies to improve your servicing. And then at the end... As you would expect, I've built quite a really cool spreadsheet, actually, that allows a mortgage broker to put in an investor's numbers and run it through as if a bank was looking at it. And then it will tell you, well, which strategies are available to the investor to improve their servicing and how much extra could they borrow? So we're going to go through this. Andrew's got a kind of realistic scenario. Now, talk to us about strategy number one. Number one is extending your personal mortgage term. And I've spoken about this before. People often get a bit nervous about extending the term on their personal mortgage because they've got this goal of paying it off in 10 years. If we extend it back out to 30 years, does that mean I have to pay it back in 30 years? No, it doesn't necessarily. Just remember that the bank, when it's looking at a servicing workbook, they're looking at the test rate on the term that you're paying it back in, maximum term. Now, you can still elect to pay your loan off at the same term as you're paying it off now, but maybe you do that in a different structure using a revolving credit or splitting your loan, something to ensure the benefit of paying off your mortgage isn't being a detriment when it comes to servicing and you being able to grow your property investment portfolio. And that allows you in that worst case scenario where you take a hidden income or the interest rates rise, that you could then pay your mortgage back over that 30 years, reduce your repayments temporarily so that you're able to keep this investment property because that potentially will be a better financial decision. Strategy number two is to extend the investment property mortgage terms. So let's say that you're paying P&I on your investment property, and that's usually something we wouldn't recommend, but we do know that about 60% of mortgages, property investment mortgages, are principal and interest. So there are a lot of investors out there paying principal and interest. If you've got a lower mortgage term, maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 15 years, you can extend that out again to try and increase your servicing. You can still pay it back at that faster rate, but you could increase the term just so that you're able to, in the worst case scenario, make smaller repayments. Next is reducing your credit card limit or getting rid of other lending facilities, especially if you're not using them. So for example, I would say that investors that I work with tend to have, you know, a limit of a twenty, thirty thousand dollar limit, but they might only be using, you know, five thousand dollars a month and they want to have a bit of a backup, but they don't need such a large facility. So the bank will often send you a letter once a year saying, Hey, you've been a great client and you pay off your credit card all the time, so we're gonna extend your limit, hoping to tempt you into using your card and not paying it off as much so they make a bit of money off of you. But of course, that can kind of get a bit out of control. I've seen people with, you know, over $100,000 credit card limits, and that has a serious dent on the ability that they're able to borrow when the bank looks at that max limit and that two and a half times, two and a half percent repayment for a month as if it was fully drawn. 
Especially because if you had a 100k credit card in that instance, you know, we're talking about two and a half grand a month that the bank is going to think, well, that's what you would have to spend on that credit card in the worst case scenario. Two and a half grand a month, it could be 400k worth of investment lending that you could get in addition. Strategy number four is reducing your KiwiSaver contributions. Now, Again, that might sound really scary, but if you are paying, say, 10% or 8% towards your KiwiSaver and you're really trying to grow that KiwiSaver, which is a fantastic thing to do, the bank is going to see that that money's not coming into your account each month, even though you are earning it. And even though at any time you actually could change those KiwiSaver contributions. So what you can do is change it back to 3% because remember anything you pay into your KiwiSaver above 3%, you're not getting that additional benefit of the government tipping in more money or your employer topping that up as well. In most cases. In most cases. So what you could do is reduce that, bring the money into your main accounts and then you can still save that money. And then in that case, you'd be able to service more. Next one is another interesting one, which is consolidating your student loans. I know that a student loan is 0% interest, so sometimes people are a bit reluctant to add on a facility onto their mortgage, which then they're going to pay interest on for an interest-free debt. And you're right, it doesn't make sense if you're not going to then go and do something else. But if you're going to consolidate the remaining 10k of your student loan and pay, say, 2.5% on that, but then take the extra money that you were paying on your student loan and pay that into your personal mortgage and or borrow extra money from the bank to then go and buy a rental property, then again, that makes sense. And sometimes it is just about making these small, short sacrifices so that you can get the lending. You can always change it back later on. And that's probably going to be more beneficial to someone who's on a very high income. So maybe you racked up an enormous student loan because you wanted to get really well qualified and maybe you've got a PhD or you've got a master's. And so you may now be on a really good income but still have some residual student loan left. Now the issue is that the student loan repayments is calculated as 12% of your income above anything earned over about 20k. Now that means if you're on a big income, say over 100K or over 120K, you're going to be paying a lot towards those student loans. And that may mean that you're unable to buy your first time or you're unable to purchase your first investment property until you've consolidated that and reduced those repayments. So again, this is about looking at your whole position and saying, is there something smarter I can do with my money? That's the same thing with strategy number six which is consolidating other personal debts. So that Gem Visa card, your Q card, the higher purchase you potentially have from Harvey Norman or from Noel Leeming in order to reduce those repayments. So you might have a $4,000 repayment that you're making and it's over a term of two or three years. Well, if you're paying a couple of hundred dollars a month towards that, $300 a month is the equivalent of about 100K worth of lending. So increasing the size of your personal mortgage so that you're then paying that over a longer time period and at potentially a lower interest rate can mean that those repayments come down, you've got more free uncommitted monthly income, which you can then put towards your mortgage. So it's about looking at it from the wider perspective. Now, Andrew, what is number seven before we go through this example? So reducing your actual spending. Now, remember the bank has a baseline set of expenses that they assume that it costs your household to live. If you're two adults, two kids and two cars, they might say, right, costs about $3,000 a month to run that operation. Now, if your spending shows that you're spending more than that, they'll work on that higher amount. 
if you're spending less than that, then they use their baseline. So just remember, most people probably spend a little bit more than what the bank's baseline is because it's just a basic family. So you've just got to remember if there are expenses going out like Netflix that you're not actually enjoying and you're not actually making use of, you can get rid of those to bring down what is actually going out when they assess this. And actually our next episode is going to be exactly on that situation. We're opening up our credit card statement, so we're going to go through some of the spending we're actually making, Andrew and I, to tell you, you know, within our household at home, what we may be spending a little bit more on. Now, Andrew, walk us through this case study with this amazing spreadsheet to show the impact of some of these strategies we're talking about. Okay, so I've worked on a what I consider a somewhat normal investor that might work with me. So I've said double income, but I've assumed that someone's on a part income right now because they've got a couple of kids and there might be some part-time work from one of the spouses. And so there's $30,000 in income coming from the part-time worker and 120 from the full-time worker. And I've put in childcare costs of $600 a month. I've put in that they're both contributing their 3% to KiwiSaver, that their house is worth 700000 and they've got that down to 137. So they've been diligently paying it off, and it's got 15 years to go. As I said before, two adults, two kids, and two cars. And then savings, I've said 10000 Shares, they open a shares as account during lockdown, and that's up to 5000 Credit card limits of 30 but they only use about seven. And personal debts, i.e. a gym visa or one of those interest-free things, $4,000 over a three-year period at 0% interest. And then I've still worked on a student loan of $20,000 for the person who's earning 120000 So of their income, they're making student loan repayments. And Andrew, is this a pretty normal couple? Very normal couple. Now, walk us through, if they submitted an application to the bank, just as you've written down here, what would they be able to borrow? And then what are some of the changes they could make? Yeah. And so we've factored in kind of a bit of a margin for expenses, spending a little bit more than maybe what would be the baseline and all the expenses as they've outlined here. So it's not a lot, only $183,500. So there's not a lot of purchasing power and it's tight, not on equity, but on servicing. So that's what they could borrow, about 180 k Correct. Now, if they make the adjustments, all of the adjustments that we're about to go through, they can get that up to a whopping $773,500. So making about 590k difference. So that really gives them some options. So what I'll do now, since I built this spreadsheet, I'm very proud of this. I'll tell you about what we're going to do with it in a second to talk you through the strategies because not all of the strategies are actually available to them. So they don't own any investment properties, so they're not able to extend investment mortgage terms. And they're currently contributing 3% each to KiwiSaver. So they're not able to reduce those further. I mean, they could bring it down to zero, but we haven't accounted for that. So the biggest impact for them is, first of all, debt consolidation. So what I'm estimating is they're going to make the biggest difference from paying off, first of all, that student loan. So that was a $20,000 student loan. Now, that it means that they're making payments to that student loan currently of $998 a month. So about a grand a month from that higher income earner, the one who earns $120K. Now, if they consolidate that, there's still a repayment that they've got to make, about $120 a month. But that would give them an extra $880 in uncommitted monthly income, which they would be able to put towards these investment properties. Now, that gives them a total of $288,000, which they could borrow in addition to what they could before because they've consolidated that student loan. We're also consolidating their personal debt. That was the 4K worth of Harvey Norman purchases. That gives them a lesser amount, but about 28, 29 grand. 
quite significant increases there by paying off that student loan. The next thing we're saying they could do is reduce that credit card limit. So at the moment, it's 30 grand. They're using seven of that. So usually what we'd say is, well, let's reduce that credit card limit down to 9,000 and reduce that limit by 21K. Now, doing that allows them to borrow an extra 206 grand a year. And that's because that 21K, if they're paying that down on minimum repayments, again, 3% per month, that's about $630 worth of uncommitted monthly income they'd be able to get back. So an extra 206K. And then would extend their personal mortgage term as well. That's an extra 110. But the main ones there were reducing credit card limits, consolidating that student loan. And that's how they get an extra 585K worth of servicing takes that up to 773. Significant differences. And the one thing that I get a lot through the texts and through the emails from you guys listening to the show is that it's really hard to understand your servicing. Now, that's why I've built this spreadsheet. But it's quite difficult to go through and use it unless you're a mortgage broker. So I'm about to go on holiday, and I think this one's actually going to be released while I'm somewhere in the Milford Sounds. So you can't get emails. What that allows me to do is that I'm going to have some time to work on this, and what we're going to get this to the stage to is where you'll be able to put some details into a form online, and within 24 hours we'll be able to fire back an assessment of your servicing and which strategies you're able to use in order to improve your ability to borrow for investment purposes. This is going to be through Catalyst Financial, and it's going to be really exciting. So we'll do this absolutely for free pop in some details, and we'll be able to let you know, here's what your position is, here are some of the things we can do in order to get you moving or being able to borrow more so you can continue on your property investment journey. So that's going to be quite cool because we've built this excellent spreadsheet. Do other mortgage brokers do this sort of thing, Andrew? Uh, you do it manually. That's terrible. Trial and error. Well, I'll get on to working on that, and then once it's officially done, we can release it and let everybody know about it. I love that while Ed's on holiday, he's treated himself with uh, spending time working on another spreadsheet. <laughs> what, 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 tell the uh, listeners what you are actually doing on the holiday. So my partner Kelly is a professional performer and singer, and that's how we met. I've got a degree in classical performance and, and singing and things like that. Can you believe there's actually degrees for it? It's terrifying. Anyway, I've been roped in, and I'm very excited to be going on with a fantastic company, Opportunity, to be going around Milford and Napier and things like this, and we're going to be taking a lovely group of travellers around. It'll be very interesting. And Ollie and I did suggest that we go along and actually watch this, but we've been barred by Kelly turning up. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property, then come along to our upcoming webinar. We're going to be joined by property investor Ilsa Wolf, and we're going to be talking about how you can cash flow hack your property portfolio through renovations to beat these government tax changes. I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes. Tap or swipe over the cover art, it'll be in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz slash webinar. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the property market. Until next time.